Welcome to the Broken Vessels Podcast. Jeremiah 18.4 states, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Simpkins. This is a podcast where we have discussions on theological themes for the broken to bring encouragement and hope in Christ. And I'd like to welcome you back to the Broken Vessels podcast as we continue our discussion on, this is kind of really uh, almost like a uh, fifth installment in our discussion on spiritual abuse, church discipline. And today we're going to be talking about going from brokenness to reconciliation and spiritual restoration. So this is episode 17, Brokenness to Reconciliation and restoration. And I have my guest uh, back from last time, uh, Jeffrey S. White. Jeff, we'd like to welcome you back to the Broken Vessels podcast. Oh, thanks a lot, Josh. I really appreciate it. All right, great. Well, brother, you know, we've we've talked so much about really detrimental issue that's going on in the church right now with spiritual abuse, and then we just talked about church discipline, and we've talked a lot about these things. But now, now we need to get to the good stuff. We need to get to Uh, what it really looks like to be able to restore someone who has been broken by these things. How do we restore them? Not only what restoration in a situation where um, legitimate church discipline had taken place, because we have established there is a legitimate path of church discipline, but even when it's legitimate, the goal should always be restorative. So we want to talk about that. But then we also want to talk about those that have dealt with illegitimate church discipline or spiritual abuse have been abused. And as you've said many times in in all of our discussions, how church discipline then is weaponized. It's weaponized to perpetrate the spiritual abuse. How can those people be reconciled and restored in a way that is biblical and right. So my question for you is, what is biblical restoration and reconciliation? So a good definition for those things. And what does it look like? Well, that is a great question. And I think that reconciliation and restoration are two sides of the same coin. And I think where you have one, you end up having the other. Right. I think the common, I think the common mistake that is made, especially in churches that pride themselves on being just so biblically, theologically precise, is that they tend to want to make restoration about, they want to make it a function of rules, and it is not. Right. A, biblical, a biblical restoration, spiritually, and again, that's what we're talking about, is spiritual restoration, uh, that is a function of relationships, not a function of rules. And so if you read through Galatians 6, verses 1 to 5, which is really part of a larger context, I believe there's two verses in chapter 5 that go with that section. Remember, we added those chapter divisions much later. In the original manuscripts, They were it was all one section. So the pericope 
the paragraph, the the unit of thought, I think, if I remember correctly, runs from verse 24 of chapter 5 down to verse 10 in chapter 6. But we tend to look at verses 1 to 5 in chapter 6. And so that section, if you look at it, there are no commands or imperative verbs used that are directed toward the person being restored. Right. All the imperatives are directed to the person doing the restoring. Let me go. And they're all about relationships. Yeah. With the let, person. let me go ahead and read that passage. Okay. Okay. Um, go for it. And, and as you said, uh, chapter five toward the end, you know, that's where we see the fruit of the spirit. And it looks to me, well, at least in the ESV, it looks like where I, where it looks like the, there is a division uh, or the beginning of a new paragraph. I think it begins with verse 25, but really, I think I think you're right. I think I misspoke. I think I said 24. I meant 25. Right. But that is not divorced from versus, you know, uh, let's see here, where he talks about the works of the flesh and then the works of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit right. um, and crucifying the flesh and the its passions and desires. And then he says, if we live, this is chapter five, verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another envying one another and then he goes on in verse um, one of chapter six where we don't believe there probably is a break in the thought he says brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. Uh, Go ahead and uh, just kind of talk about that. Like as we uh, talk about this idea of restoration and reconciliation, you know, what, what are we looking at here? Well, and you asked for a definition, I think, and again, I think they're both, they're all, I think they're two sides of the same coin. And I think what happens is when someone is restored, when their, when their relationship with God vertically straightens out, it tends to affect their relationship horizontally with others. And, but it also works the other way. And oftentimes what happens is when restorations fail, and by the way, you can't restore someone who isn't repentant, okay? The the presumption here is the person's a repentant person. Right. And so sometimes those are confused. You know, this passage is often used to try to say how you're supposed to deal with someone who isn't repentant. It's not. It's talking about how you restore someone who who is a repentant person. Right. And so... How do you go about doing that? And uh, a lot of times when the restoration fails, it is very easy and it's very commonplace for the leaders of the church or the counselor or whoever's involved in it to say, well, the person wasn't really repentant and that's why it failed. When a lot of times that was not the case at all. It's because the way the restoration was attempted became a stumbling block to the person. Mm -hmm. If you make the restoration about rule keeping, like, oh, you've got to read this many books before we'll say you restore it, or you have to go to this many counseling sessions, you come up with all these man-made things that maybe are wise in and of themselves, but they're not what God's commanded. Right. Okay, they're extra-biblical, okay? 
and you start making those the test, you are going to mess this up. Also, if you don't follow the directions in this, these verses, especially verses 1 to 5 of chapter 6, and you're the person doing the restoring, you'll jack that restoration up. Oh, yeah. And you'll lose the opportunity to restore the person. And so um, well, if you want to walk through this, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I, I just wanted to make a point that then all of a sudden repentance. Okay, so we're talking about a repentance center. But then repentance starts, uh, they they want to try to quantify your level of repentance based on your rule keeping, you know, or based on your submission to their authority where they've taken authority further than they actually have authority. And then that, again, it becomes a stumbling block to that person. So, uh, yeah, let's let's go through this and and just discuss uh, from from this passage of scripture what it should really look like. Yeah, and and you make a great point, because there is confusion today, and I've seen this more than once in the people I've counseled with and tried to help, that where there is a confusion between the rest, between the repentance that happens at conversion, okay, when a person is justified, you know, when they are born again, all of that stuff that happens at that point in time, versus the repentance that happens after their salvation as a part of sanctification, those are often confused, and you can't confuse those two. I see the repentance that happens primarily at conversion as being a change of mind, which is what the word means, metanoia. It means a change of mind, a change of perception. It is really a transformation in the person's thinking where they go from a heart of unbelief to a heart of belief. Right. That is the primary repentance that happens at salvation. Yet there's some people that want to take that further than the Bible takes that. Now, yes, there is, uh, as a result of, of regeneration and conversion, there is, as a result of that, a change of desires, a, a change of direction, a desire to follow Christ. Uh, but those are not the cause of the conversion or the cause of the regeneration or the cause of the justification. No, it's those a are the effects fruit. or the results. Yeah, it's a natural. That's fruit. right. And a lot of people, because their theology is kind of wonky, uh, they will confuse the root with the fruit. And so you have to kind of watch that. And now, but there's also the same is true with sanctification. Sanctification and the repentance that happens in that act are, are, is very specific. It's not as general. And it's, it usually deals with particular sins that God is dealing with in that person's life. And every believer is different. Believers are not all in the same place spiritually as everyone else. Right. And God deals with everybody on a unique basis. And he knows what he wants in their life and is accomplishing in their life at any one point in time. And for me to evaluate someone else spiritually based on my own experience is not right. Okay, that's not a wise thing to do. But going back to what we're talking about here is that Galatians 6 verses 1 to 5 is a grace-based approach to restoration. If you have a law-based approach, a rule-based approach, you will blow it up. You have to have a grace-based approach, which focuses on the person's relationship with God and the relationship with other people. And that includes a two-way street. Relationships are not uh, unilateral. They're bilateral. Mm-hmm. And so it also affects how you deal with that person. And that's why I think it's important that Paul, one of the first things he says here in verse 1 is he says, brethren. And I think that's important 
First of all, notice the word is plural. It's not singular. This is not one person attempting a restoration. This is a group of people. Right. The whole congregation has to be involved in restoration. And that means you're going to have to train your congregation how to deal with someone who's imperfect. We are not going to, we, we, unfortunately, as a result of, I believe, fundamentalism in our churches, we have created this environment which makes it very difficult for people to publicly say, I am a sinner and I've got some problems and I need help. Yeah. Because if they do, they're looked down on. Right. There's condescension. Instead of, there's a self-righteous spirit, this Pharisee spirit. Instead of saying, you know what, sister and brother, I'm just like you. I struggle with my thought life, my attitudes, my desires. I have sins in my life and have had sins in my life in the past that God's still working on. And it's not this strict, rigid, graceless perfectionism that comes out of fundamentalism. Some churches are so fundamental that the pastors are afraid to admit they've got any sins because they'll be viewed as not being above reproach. And it creates this environment where people come to church and they pretend to be perfect or almost perfect. Yep. (laughs) And there's no transparency. And if you misuse restoration or discipline in your church, if you misuse those, the message you send will not be the message you think you're sending. You may think the message you're sending is we're serious about the Bible. We're serious about being holy. We're serious about obeying the pastors. But the message you that they will receive will not be that message. The message they will receive is nobody is safe being vulnerable and transparent and broken here. Yeah. And so they'll keep their they'll keep their sins to themselves and suffer in bondage instead of being able to openly share with their failures and say I need help. And that you'll short circuit restoration and and repentance and revival in your church by how you mess those up if you do that. So well, and this whole idea of bearing one another's burdens. And 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 I think uh, the place where it says uh, I think it's in James where he talks about uh, weeping with those who weep. Uh, along with rejoicing with those who rejoice. You know, I think there's a lot of, when it comes to restoration and even the process of discipline and the process of helping somebody who's struggling in sin, as as we've said over and over again, we're simultaneously sinners and saints. You know, Romans 7 is a real yeah. thing. Okay, so yeah. we need to be walking alongside these people who are struggling because we struggle ourselves, walking along side one another bearing one another's burdens and and it's like he says in verse three here uh, of galatians six for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself we have to absolutely we have to walk alongside people and bear their burden with them that doesn't mean that you look at the burden that they're bearing and and you're bearing down on them no you're carrying the burden with them you're you're struggling with them to help them that's right that's absolutely and that's why he says you know if you think you're something when you're nothing you deceive yourself there there are if you are a self-righteous person if you if you see the person that has sinned as worse than you then you're going to have troubles in your church restoring people because that's just not reality. You may not have gone out and committed adultery in practice, but I assure you, you've committed adultery in principle in your heart. Totally. And in God's eyes, you are as guilty. If you fail God's law in one point, you're guilty of it all. Right. So there's no boasting. The ground's level at the cross. We're all in need of grace. 
And so just because I had carried out an act of sin that you've carried out doesn't mean that I'm not guilty of it in principle. And so we need to change our mindset on that. Unfortunately, though, again, we've got a real perfectionistic, graceless, law-based kind of approach that happens a lot. And a lot of it is found in, in biblical counseling, which I know we're talking about sometimes in the future, but it's, they, biblical counseling can be very behavioristic and moralistic. Well, yeah, and there's, so, there's this idea that, well, if you commit the act outwardly, that's so much more egregious than the fact that you've committed it inwardly. Whereas, I mean, that was Christ's whole point when he was saying, if you commit adultery in your heart, he's like, y'all are take, not taking the law as far as I, God, looks at it. Uh, you, that's right. You're, you're, you're wanting to take the law and say, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't, I might have thought about it, but I didn't do it. So therefore, it's not sin. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know that you're planning to have Justin Purdue on your show. Those guys at Theocast, they do a phenomenal job on the law of grace issue and on the Sermon on the Mount and on First John. I highly recommend people listen to him. Oh, yeah. Those guys are great on that. Yeah. yeah. And actually, this... what the, what the, what the Sermon on the Mount does, it's really the New Testament reiteration of the Ten Commandments, only the spirit of it. It's designed to do exactly what the Ten Commandments do, and that's to show us that we are a sinner. We can never be perfect enough. Even if I started today obeying God and never, ever sinned again in my life, the rest of my life, I still wouldn't be perfect enough to be accepted by God. i got to have an alien righteousness outside of myself that comes through Jesus Christ to be acceptable to God. And that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Right. And because Jesus takes the law and raises it to the nth degree. And that's why he says your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees or you to be in the kingdom. I feel like we've really established really what restoration and reconciliation is supposed to look like. Uh, maybe as we go along, we can kind of get into more practical application on that. But at least in principle, I feel like we've really uh, established this. But my, my next question to you is, why do you think this is not practiced adequately in the church? Um, I think it kind of goes along with why why is it that we see spiritual abuse? Why is church discipline not um, done a- adequately? Uh, I, I have a feeling it's going to be a similar answer to uh, why this isn't done a- a- adequately. But what what do you think is the root cause of this? Well, I think people's own theological biases incline them to certain tendencies, you know, and I think if you're from a very fundamentalist background, it's going to come out. If you're ultra conservative, it's going to come out. And I just think people don't really understand. They don't really see the grace that's in the passage because it's so law-based, presented to them in such a law-based fashion. I think uh, it's 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 ignorance. It's lack of information. They don't see it. They don't get it. They haven't been taught correctly, or maybe they've been taught it, but from a very rigid, strict, legalistic perspective. I think also that some of it is they've never seen it truly modeled where it works. Right. And it, when you don't have the model in front of you to imitate, it's hard to come up with that on your own. Mm-hmm. But you know, like. You know, we talked about the first word of the verse, you know, where it says brothers, you that are spiritual, restore such one. But that word brothers tells us this is a a relationship of equals. This is not an authoritarian relationship. If you take an approach to restoration that is authoritarian, you'll boil up that restoration. Right. You'll destroy it. 
you cannot be authoritarian. If you are authoritarian and become controlling and domineering and graceless or ungentle, where you're not gentle, you know, uh, the Bible's very clear to do this in gentleness. And I think also the reason it's not done is because, again, people focus on minors Mm. rather than on majors. You can't force sanctification. You can't force spirituality. And that's why we've got to be willing. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. Mm-hmm. Love is tolerant to a certain degree. And maybe not over fundamentals of the faith, like the matters of orthodoxy, and maybe not over moral issues. I'm not suggesting we tolerate that. But on these other things, secondary, tertiary, extra-biblical issues, we've got to be gracious with people. Not, this, this is not about having cookie-cutter Christians. People are in various places spiritually in their life. And you're not going to have, if you're a pastor, you're not going to have a church where everybody is on the same plane spiritually. Right. And you've got to be willing to handle that. I wanna, if you're very perfectionistic, it's not going to work. Right. I want to I share a, a story with you of a church that, that I knew about a few years ago. And, and there was a time, or at this time, I probably viewed church discipline very differently, but I felt like in the way that I saw this done, um, and, and this was supposedly restoration and reconciliation, but it, it did not look like that to me. So there was, okay. this, there was this church, okay? There was a young, a young lady. She was a teenager at the time when the actual sin occurred. She had been dating a young man. I think she was like maybe, I think she was 18 maybe at the time, uh, 17, 18. And uh, they, they were dating and they ended up getting pregnant. The, the girl got pregnant. She, she was repentant of having done that she she admitted you know this was wrong this was sin but now there's this life on the way i I, you know i have to take care of my child and then uh, the the decision was made uh she decided i'm gonna marry the man i'm gonna marry the father and and these are both christian people okay that messed up like like you had just said a little bit ago Uh, morally you know they messed up well they decided to get married but for some reason, this church decided to have this big old meeting with the whole church involved and bring this girl up in front of the whole congregation, pregnant, mind you, in front of the whole congregation to basically repent before everyone in order to, quote unquote, be restored. In other words, okay, well, you guys committed this public act and, and it was morally wrong and everybody in the church knows it. So we're going to drag you up in front of the church and you have to like basically do penance is, is kind of the way it was. It was like this penance that she had to do. And then even after she came up and confessed the sin and said, I repent of this, that was it. There, there was no like confirmation of the gospel in her life. There was no, you know, saying in spite of what happened here, the grace of God covers this sin and the Lord will be with you and he's going to grow you and your child and, and, and your husband as you all get married. None of that was emphasized at all. It was the sin that was emphasized. Right. I'm sorry, brother, but that kind of what you would call – <laughs> discipline or 
reconciliation or restoration or whatever you want to call it, just in my opinion, does not seem to be very biblical or grace-based. I agree. And I'm ashamed to say I've been a part of churches that were like that when I was growing up. And I'm, you know, I, I, some of my, some of my greatest regrets are things I have seen and witnessed and in uh, ministry. (laughs) I'm serious. That is not how you handle that. No. That, that the way you handle that is you say we're anti-abortion because we're pro-life and you're doing the right thing by bringing that baby into the world and you're not going out to get an abortion. Right. And you say, we're going to love you and we're going to help you and we're going to help try to provide the stuff you need. And we're going to throw you a baby shower and we're going to celebrate your repentance and, and we're going to help life. you because. That's right. Because that's, you know what? All what of happens. us have done the same. That's yes, not what happens. They don't want to celebrate the same thing in our heart. Yeah, they don't want to celebrate the life of this child because it was that's right. it came about as a result of sin. But you know what? God does all kinds of things good through bad things. All kinds yeah, he of does. Things. <laughs> that's right. And I, I love the statement, you know, two people can make love, but only God can make life. Right. That baby, that conception was part of God's sovereign work. So you may not have liked the process by which it came from, the sin, but that that child was conceived because God sovereignly planned to conceive that child. Well, not only that. Conception is an act of God. Yes, and and not only that, not only that, I think to myself, okay, we can look at this scenario how it could have gone, right? Yeah. This church, okay, it's only by the grace of God that this woman endured that and still— came out on on the side of just sticking with the Lord, sticking with the church, and bringing her child into this world and bringing her child into the church. That, yeah. that could have went completely another direction, and yeah. I think many times it probably has, where the way that this church handled it, it very well could have pushed this woman away, Absolutely. and she could have been like, I'm done with these people, and, I'm, and I am, I'm going to go get an abortion. Yeah, I've seen this happen. I have seen that happen. Yes. You're so right. Yeah. Yeah, you have got to, you know, now if the parents came to me and they said, our 18-year-old daughter still live in our house, she's shacked up with her boyfriend, she will not listen to us, she will not stop, then we might handle it a little bit different way. Oh, yeah, totally. But if she's repentant and the guy is, you know, you have got to realize, hey, but for the grace of God, there go I. Right. And I may not have gotten someone pregnant outside of wedlock, but you know what? In my heart, I've done stuff that's just as bad or worse. Yeah. So I'm not any better than she is. I'm nothing. I am a wretched sinner. And I need God's grace. And I'm going to show you grace because I've experienced God's grace. That's a lot of the problem. I think we have unregenerated members in our churches sometimes who get into positions of leadership and they don't show grace and love to people because they don't understand grace from God anyway. Right. And so, um, I think that we, you know, we have got to show grace to people and there's no clean antiseptic way to do discipline or to do restoration in a church. Mm. It's always messy and you have to be able to give lots of grace to people. And uh, I would, I, there's a lot of better ways to handle that situation with that little girl than, and to me, she is little, she's only 18, but 
I'm an old guy, so yeah, yeah. but I think that you, you know, I'm 57, so I think that the way you handle that is way, just way different. But of course, those people that did that, they sincerely thought they were being godly and holy and biblical. Right. And what they fail to realize is that it doesn't matter how how well and how perfectly you dot the I's and cross the T's. If you're unloving in the end, you are still wrong. And and a lot of stuff, a lot of people are very orthodox, theologically astute and precise, but they're not loving. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, brother. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up. We've uh, established uh, what we believe biblical restoration and reconciliation does look like. And we've talked about why we think that it's not practiced properly in the church, but I would like to have you back for one more episode where we can talk about what we can do better. And then also like for those of us that have been through spiritual abuse, church discipline, and so on and so forth, how we can respond to those that have done what should be our response basically. And then what should be the response of those that have realized that they have perpetrated this and how can they um, be reconciled and restored as well? So uh, we'll have you on for one more episode. Does that sound good? Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you all for joining us for this episode of the broken vessels podcast, and we'll see you next week. (laughs) 